first case for argument this morning is 21-1855, Siwi v. DTE. Mr. Kaysen? Did I pronounce your name right? Yes, thank you, Your Honor. Appreciate it. Good morning. Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court. I want to bring two specific errors to the attention of this Court in this appeal. The Board erred in allowing time-barred joint party, LGE, to participate in this unprecedented manner and extent that it did. And second, the Board erred by improperly denying Siwi's request for a motion to amend. On the first point you raised, so you're confined to whether or not their participation should have been allowed in the motion to amend situation or in the case in its entirety? Basically, it should have been limited to what a joined time-barred party has been typically been allowed to do, which is that they can participate and ZTE was the original petitioner, LGE is the time-barred petitioner that voluntarily agreed to take on a understudy passive role. And they were admitted on that basis. When you refer to the party as a time-barred party, they're not time-barred with respect to joinder, right? They were time-barred. I mean, doesn't 315 specifically say that the time-bar does not apply to a joinder under 315C? It actually says that the time-bar does not apply. 315B says the time-bar does not apply only for a request for joinder. It has never been said to therefore allow substantial participation for a time-barred party to equal to the original petitioner. That has never been the position of this court. It's never been the case in previous decisions of the board as well. And here, they're... So you're not talking about whether they, I think, following up on what Judge Stoll said. I mean, it says the statute explicitly in B says you can request joinder and C is joinder under 3. So assuming if Congress contemplated a request, they obviously contemplated the possibility that someone would grant the request, right? Yes, Your Honor. So you're not talking about joinder necessarily. You're talking about what having been, once having been joined, what the, how much the joined party is allowed to do in the proceedings. Exactly. And where do we look for the answer to that question? In the board regulations? In Hunting Titan? Where? Basically, several things, Your Honor. First, it's always been part of this compromise. And so we can't have the exception swallow the rule and simply say, hey, the time bar is now gone for joined parties. That simply would be not right because it's part of the compromise in the AIA. What compromise are you talking about? And where is that in the statute? Your Honor, where it is in the statute is that if it says it's only for a request and that has been interpreted by... I don't understand that argument. If they're allowed to request joinder, we just went over this. That assumes that joinder is going to be granted. Yes, Your Honor. And if there's no time bar for that request, then that contemplates time bar parties from being joined. 
And you agree that that's possible. Yes. We're asking you about where do the limitations on their participation come from, and you're not giving us a very clear answer. Are they in? I don't think they're in the statute. Are they in the regulations? Basically, the board has always said, and that has been their practice. Said where? In their regulations? In their previous decisions. Okay. In what decisions? I'm sorry? In what decisions and what did they say? And we have listed every one of these decisions in our opening brief, and every time they've been allowed to participate if the original petitioner goes away. But in this case, number one, ZTE is still adverse. ZTE is still challenging the original claims and the amended claims. And in addition... No, they're not. I thought that was the point of this. The board only allowed LG to participate because for the second amended claim, ZTE indicated that they were not going to oppose. So there was no one left other than the board itself, sui sponte, or LG. Yes, Your Honor. Only with respect to the revised amended claims. Okay. On the record, ZTE said, we're not going to challenge those claims that have been amended for the second time. That's correct. I was just going to say, so then the board took that as meaning that there was no party opposing the second amended claims and that therefore LG could participate in that limited manner, right? Yes, Your Honor. Exactly in the limited manner where basically what was really permitted went far beyond the limited manner where they could basically bring in new art. Do you think that if ZTE was opposing those amended claims, the second amended claims, couldn't ZTE bring in new art? They could bring in new art for the amended claims. That's right. Yes. And they deliberately chose not to use the with and also. Why can't LG, who's stepping in the shoes of ZTE with the petition that ZTE provided, but also with the second amended claims, why couldn't they then raise prior art when you agree that ZTE could have? Number one, ZTE, yes, they could bring in new art, but we only ask for if they're going to bring in new art for the revised amended claims, then we should at least get fair notice and we should be given a chance to respond. Ironically, am I missing something about what happened in this case? You were the ones that brought in the new prior art, right? I mean, you listed the new prior, I can't pronounce the name, but it starts with a W. You brought it in, so we're not even faced with the issue. Didn't you put it in as under your duty of candor? We mentioned it because it was part of the Google IPR, but it was never part of the record in this appeal. So you're saying that LG, ZTE could have done that, but LG couldn't have done that. Let's assume we think that. And if they did, then we would want a chance to respond. Okay, so explain to me. That's the part I want to know more about because maybe I misread the record, but I understood that you did have an opportunity to respond. I mean, they put in their, LG gives their opposition with a declaration, and you get to respond, and I think under whatever authority there is, the board's rules or whatever, you could put in new evidence. You could have put in a declaration, and you chose 
not to. You relied on attorney argument. Am I wrong in my recitation? We, we relied on the expert reports that already existed, but we were not given a chance to amend our claims, for example. Uh, oh, wait, so you're not talking about being able to put in new evidence that's responsive to the opposition. Your complaint is that you should have been able to then amend your claim a third time? Because we were... Did you seek to amend your claim a third time, and did that get rejected? We we simply were never given the chance. Uh, but well, but, in, in order to get the chance in most of these proceedings, you need to ask for the chance. How can you say you were rejected when you never asked for it? How do we know if the board would have granted your request or not? Well, it's not part of the board's procedures, Your Honor. All, all that they give us is basically an amendment and a revised amendment. That's all they give us. But but just along the same lines, Your Honor, the one thing that I want to point out is that for claim twenty two. Which is, which is a, a very critical claim. For that claim, we did not revise that claim. That claim was amended and ZT opposed that claim and the board in the preliminary guidance allowed that claim. So we did not revise it. And yet LG used a new reference, which the board's own rules say you cannot use you, you cannot assert in your replies matter that has not been revised. And we did not revise that claim. Claim 22 was never revised. And yet LG produced a new piece of prior art against that claim. And then that claim was ultimately rejected when by their own rules, by the board's own rules, the replies have to be limited to the revisions. Well, did you point that out in your response? Yes, we did, Your Honor. Yes, we did. This and, is and, just and, on claim twenty-two. You're saying that yes. was different. So yes. And, and what was the board's position on that? They just simply rejected claim twenty-two, despite their own preliminary guidance saying it was allowable. And then, well, did they deal in their uh, in their opinion with your argu the argument that you're telling us you made to them about how claim twenty-two they shouldn't have been allowed? To no, Your Honor. So. They, I, let me make sure I'm following this. You had your first set of amended claims. You had claim 22. Yes, Your Honor. And then you had you had proposed revised claims. Other claims, and but they, we didn't change 22. But, but 22 was included in that group of revised claims. You just hadn't changed it. We basically didn't change it. We we 22 was a replacement to claim 14, and we just didn't touch it at all in the revision because the board in the preliminary guidance said it was allowable. So there was no reason for us to do anything. So can you show us where you made that argument? Uh, can you point us to the record? We've got a pretty hefty record here. Uh, where you made that argument to the board? But we will definitely okay, do that, Your Honor. Got we, we, we will de definitely do that, Your Honor. Um, a couple other points. ZTE actually was adverse all the way through. And the rules of preclusion in cases like Taylor versus Sturgill and the judicial estoppel doctrine are the kind of important precedent where LG voluntarily made these concessions and yet chose to take on a different role afterwards. I want to also, in my limited amount of time, I want to talk about the revised motion to amend. There is written description support for a cellular phone. The cellular phone is shown. Is that that's an op, that's an alternative? 
basis for affirming the board, right? It's only for claims 21 and 24. But the obviousness is for 20 to 24, all of them. But there is support, and importantly, a provisional application is in fact a U.S. patent application publication because it is available publicly at the time the patent issues. And for the rules of incorporation under Section 1.57, what matters is whether at the time the patent issues, that information is publicly available. And every provisional, nobody disputes it, is available. It was properly incorporated by reference, and there was really no reason for finding that there's no cellular phone support. I know you're into your rebuttal time, but I want to go back to this Claim 22 argument that you didn't change it, so they shouldn't have done it. Where's that in your blue brief? It's there, Your Honor. It is in our blue brief. Well, where? I just looked through it, and I don't see it. We'll find it for you, Your Honor. I mean, you wrote it. You should know what's in your brief. Is it at pages 47 to 48? Yeah. We mentioned it repeatedly, and also mentioned it in our reply brief, but we'll give you the paid citation in just a minute, Your Honor. Well, the problem is when you do it on rebuttal, then it means they don't get a response to the argument you're making here today. Yes, Your Honor. We understand. We believe we mentioned it in our blue brief as well, but we'll give you the page site for sure when I come back. Your Honor, it's there on page 47, at the bottom of page 47 in our blue brief. Thanks to my co-counsel. This is most egregious for Claim 22. That's the language at the bottom on page 47 of the blue brief. Okay. All right. Thank you. We'll use that in rebuttal time. Thank you. So you're dividing your time up, but only two minutes for Mr. Foreman. Yes, Your Honor. Although, if you care to hear more from him, I'm happy to see more. William Peterson, on behalf of Appalachia LG Electronics, may it please the Court, when ZTE withdrew its opposition to Siwi's amended claims, the Board acted within its discretion in allowing LG to oppose them. The Board followed its reasoned policy preferences in favor of adversarial presentation and did not abuse its discretion on the merits substantially. So what is your understanding of the Board's policy, that you could not participate as long as ZTE was involved in the case? Is that your view, or is that just something that you gratuitously said you would do to make things life easier? I don't believe the Board has adopted a policy in a precedential decision or by regulations. It is something that we offered to the Board to serve in an understudy role as long as ZTE was an active party. And what we argued to the Board is that ZTE ceased to be an active party when it stopped opposing. Well, what about hypothetically? Let's leave aside the petition because the petition is what it is. But let's assume in this amendment process that ZTE continues to participate, but you weren't satisfied with the job they were doing and you thought their arguments were wholly insufficient. Although they were clearly participating, you weren't pleased with that. 
would you then have the ability to go in, or based on your agreement, at least to the board, would you be precluded from participating? I'm going to say we would likely be precluded. I can come up with exceptions. For example, imagine there was some type of agreement between PSYWI and ZTE in which ZTE agreed to oppose, but to do so using only weak prior art references. So you can imagine sort of nominally adversarial circumstances. But I think in general, as long as ZTE was actually opposing and fighting against them, we wouldn't be able to second-guess ZTE's strategic choices. Now, with regard to this piece of prior art that starts with a W and I can't pronounce, do you consider that new, or do you consider that having already been submitted by the patent owner in this case? We certainly think the patent owner referred to it, and ZTE appeared to have incorporated and directed the board to its briefing about with Onwasom. You'll see that in appendix pages 1060 to 1061. That was in connection with what, that they were talking about with Onwasom? Their duty of candor. They were disclosing related prior art to the board as part of the revised motion to amend. And recall, this was the same board panel that heard the Google versus PSYWI IPR, which involved challenges to some of the same claims for the same patent and essentially indistinguishable amendments, and found those proposed amendments in that IPR unpatentable as obvious over the combination of with Onwasom and Bachman. So the same combination that is proposed. Do you think that that makes with Onwasom, however you say it, of record in this particular IPR? I don't know if it makes it of record. I think it makes it very close given PSYWI's attempt to incorporate its briefing. Certainly under the board's current regulations, which are even more restrictive than under the hunting titan standard that it was operating at the time, the board would have been able to make it of record because it was readily identifiable in a related proceeding before the board. So this is one where we think even if LG had not presented these arguments, the board certainly would have been able sua sponte to identify this evidence. What about, what's your response about claim 22? If claim 22 between the first suggested proposed amendment and the second proposed amendment never changed, why is it that LGE should be able to rely on new prior art for that particular claim? Well, so we're operating under the board's pilot process related to amendments. So this is, you'll find it 84 Federal Register 9497-01. It sets out the procedures and it gives a patent owner a choice when it has requested preliminary guidance. So in response to preliminary guidance from the board, the patent owner can simply say, we are not going to file anything, at which point the petitioner then files a response to the preliminary guidance, but the petitioner cannot file new evidence at that point. And then the patent owner gets to file a reply to the petitioner's response and doesn't get to file new evidence. But the patent owner has another choice, which is what PSYWI took, and that is to file a revised motion to amend. And when they file that, the petitioner gets to come in and essentially restart the motion to amend based on responses to the preliminary guidance, what's already been said. And in response to that, the petitioner gets to respond to the revised motion to amend with evidence and arguments that it has available in response to that and response to the preliminary guidance. So under this pilot program, the patent office explained that generally speaking, new evidence can be submitted with every paper in the motion to amend process. So that's 84 Federal Register 9500. So this is one where when PSYWI filed a revised motion to amend, 
ZTE, LG, whoever was opposing that revised motion was able to come forward with evidence. Now, the easier argument, Judge Stoll, probably on this record, is simply forfeiture. That although SIWI complained generally about LG's participation in the process, SIWI never complained about LG raising the Withonimwasm reference in opposition to any of its claims in response to the revised motion to amend. I think the closest my friend came was in a motion to exclude LG's evidence attached in opposition to its revised motion to amend. You'll see that motion to exclude at appendix pages 1577 to 1583. But the board rejected that motion to exclude both on the merits and because that motion to exclude was untimely. You see that on appendix pages 100 to 101. And what the board said was reliance on generalized objections to LG's participation is insufficient. And that's exactly what they're trying to rely on now. Generalized objections to LG's participation as supporting this very specific argument about the use of Withonimwasm in particular and particularly with respect to claim 22. So all of what you thought and what we finally found in the blue brief on page 47 was not an argument that was made to the board. No, Judge Post, it was not. They objected to LG's participation. They objected to several arguments that they identified as new arguments. And you'll generally see those listed as appendix page 96 of the board's decision. And there's a listing of issues such as patent eligibility under section 101. You'll see them listed as patent owner estoppel. But what you don't see is any specific objection that says you cannot raise new prior art in response to our motion to dismiss. I'm sorry, in response to our revised motion to amend. Well, I thought that the argument we were talking about here on claim 22 was even more specific than that. And I'm sorry, and you certainly don't even see, and you especially can't raise new prior art with respect to claim 22. And so you can see on appendix page 99, what the board said is it was not going to address the substance of LG's new arguments. So the new arguments were things like patent eligibility, patent owner estoppel. Unpatentability under section 103 was the same argument supported by new evidence. And it rejected Sawe's motion to exclude on appendix pages 100 to 101 as untimely. Thus, we find Sawe did not make a timely objection to the challenged exhibits. I have a more general question for you. In a circumstance like this, where a party would not necessarily be able to participate and instead has to take a back seat as a joining party, why do parties want to join other petitioners' IPRs? It's an interesting question, Judge Stoll. It's one that we have discussed. There are some advantages to doing so. One is that it may delay district court proceedings as a participant in an IPR. The other is to collaborate. The board directed LG and ZTE to file papers in the IPR jointly. It directed them to file them as consolidated proceedings. And it also protects LG against the risk of ZTE settling the IPR. So if ZTE had reached a settlement agreement with Sawe and simply withdrawn, LG at that point would have been able to step forward and become the lead petitioner at that point. 
after ZTE had settled. The board isn't required to proceed to a final decision if there's a settlement with a petitioner, and so having a joint petitioner in that case would allow LG to participate. But I do think this case and this non-opposition by ZTE illustrates some of the possible risks for a joint petitioner, and it may be we'll be advising our clients in the future to be more careful with it. But I also think the board acted quite wisely in following the principles of adversarial presentation and ensuring that there was a real testing of the proposed amended claims. I'm correct in understanding that when you join, you also agree to be bound by any estoppel? That is certainly possible. I think we would have had arguments based on the unique facts of this case that we may not have been bound in the same way, but that was certainly, it looked like Siwi's intent was to use estoppel against us and to argue that invalidity was simply off the table for the amended claims in a district court proceeding where ZTE did not oppose the amendment and LG was, the attempt at least was for LG not to be able to raise any opposition to the amendment at all. Can I just ask you a general question? Because I haven't had one of these cases in a while. So if you join, then have we decided yet whether or not, I mean, estoppel would apply in the district court proceedings, correct, if you joined as a party to this case? And in that circumstance, you would be bound in terms of estoppel and limited to what the petition said that the other side filed, right? So there's a risk for you going in. There certainly is. And we certainly accepted that risk with open eyes. Again, we were instructed to coordinate jointly with ZTE. We were very happy to do so. I think we accepted the risk that ZTE might choose strategically to oppose the revised amended claims in a way that was different than we might choose to oppose them. But I don't think we accepted the risk that ZTE would, in its own words, withdraw all objections to the amended claims. But you would, I mean, in your understanding, I'm a little confused because it was a regulation that's in effect now, but it wasn't in effect when the board decided this case. Was there some change in the jurisprudence here? The regulation with respect to the prior art that the board can consider? Yes. So if you recall, the board issued the precedential decision in Hunting Titan, and that was in between the initial denial of LG's participation and the board's reconsideration. That precedential decision in Hunting Titan said that the board may always consider any new grounds of unpatentability that's consistent with the Nike decision, but should do so in certain rare circumstances. Now, it suggested the board could consider new grounds of unpatentability when, for example, the petitioner didn't oppose a motion to amend, and also said even if a petitioner opposes a motion to amend, there may be times when the board should step in and consider readily identifiable evidence of record. Following the Hunting Titan decision by the precedential panel, the board, the patent office issued regulations. What those regulations say is, and that's 37 CFR 1.21 D3, it suggests that that readily identifiable and persuasive limitation would apply even when a patent owner doesn't participate. When a petitioner doesn't. Sorry, even when a petitioner doesn't participate. That was what your concurrence in Hunting Titan highlighted, Judge Prost. So we certainly share that concern. Those regulations don't apply in this case, but I would note even if they did apply, 
those regulations would still allow the board to have considered the Withana-Wasson reference. Unless the panel has further questions. Thank you. Thank you. May it please the court. I just would like to address two issues quickly. First is the issue about Claim 22. I agree with LG's counsel that that issue was forfeited because it wasn't raised before the board. Even if they can point to something in the blue brief about it, they did not raise it before the board. Second, with respect to Claim 22, even if they had raised the issue, I think LG had the right to raise new prior art. If you look at the Federal Register guidance on the revised, the Motion to Amend Pilot Program, it says that both the opposition and the reply may be accompanied by new evidence that responds to issues raised in the preliminary guidance or in the corresponding revised Motion to Amend or opposition. So LG was allowed to raise new evidence in response to issues raised in the preliminary guidance. So if the board looked at the first opposition to the Motion to Amend with respect to Claim 22 and said, you know, we think that petitioner didn't meet its burden, then petitioner is allowed to offer new evidence that responds to that. So if they say, well, okay, well, the board rejected us here. If we had just Claim 22 and no other claims at issue here, they get a second bite? Well, no. I mean, if we had Claim 22 and the board said that the claim was patentable, then there wouldn't be a need for a revised Motion to Amend. But because there was a revised Motion to Amend, I don't see any problem with responding based on the board's preliminary guidance. I guess the other quick issue I want to raise. Can I ask you one quick question? Sure. It's my understanding that once the party is joined, there are no actual statutes or regulations that prohibit their participation in the IPR. And instead, there's prior board decisions. Do I have that correct? That any prohibitions are coming from, not from regulations or statutes? That's correct. The only prohibition that I'm aware of is this court's precedent stating that a joined party cannot raise new grounds in their petition. Otherwise, there's no... I guess that comes from statute then. An understanding of what the petition, that the petition sets the stage. Correct. That's this court interpreting the statutes. I guess quickly, the one other issue I just want to raise is with respect to this incorporation by reference issue. The regulation clearly states that essential material is only a U.S. patent or U.S. patent application publication. The PTO has explained why that is the case. Because it wants the essential material easily found by the public. So it either needs to be in the specification or in a document that is easily retrieved by the public. And the PTO has made the policy decision that U.S. patents and published U.S. patent applications are easily retrievable by the public and can be considered essential material. And as a practical matter, why isn't the other document, provisional, why isn't that easily obtainable by the public? Well, I think that's a separate issue. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Because they're not necessarily published. Um, there's, there are certain circumstances where a provisional beco- can become publicly available, but it's not, as, as a rule, they're not uh, considered published applications. They're not always published. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, since we went over, sir, uh, we'll restore four minutes of rebuttal if you need it. Thank you. Your Honor's first, um, with respect to Claim 22, uh, that issue was absolutely not forfeited. We, there's a, here's the sequence of events. Do you have the site for us? Yes. I mean, that's going to be the best way to answer this question is to tell us exactly where we're going to find where you raised it in the appendix. Yeah, yes, yes, Your Honor. We, the sequence is, is it, with appendix sites is listed in pages 47 and 48 of the blue brief. But briefly, what we did was in the reply, to LG's opposition to our revised motion to amend, we noted that Claim 22 was not revised because it was deemed to be allowable by the board. The other four claims we revised because the board had problems in its preliminary guidance with respect to those four claims. And so we revised only the claims where the board had a problem with it, and we told the board that we're not revising the fifth claim because it's allowed. And and so we we that's that's where on the record we we we, we pointed that out. Um, what is your appendix site? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, we had asked you for an appendix site. I didn't hear one. Oh. Um, well, I'm looking at what you cited on page 47. But, I mean, if you want to give us the exact panic site that you think is best, that would be helpful. Yeah, we, we um, um, I believe the, um, the appendix site relating to the board's preliminary guidance is uh, 1250, 1251, where basic. That's where, what about where you actually raised this issue? What is the best site for that? Uh, I don't have that handy, Your Honor, but we will make that available to you and we'll point out to you um, in, in a letter where we, uh, uh, where we challenge that. Um, also, it is incorrect when they say that the board's rules, it's a free-for-all once you file a revised motion to amend. That is not the board's rules. The board's rules do not allow an opposition to a revised motion to amend to rehash all issues and arguments. The RMTA itself is limited by its own rules to the preliminary guidance or to the petitioner's oppositions, and all other filings are limited in scope to the specific points raised in the revision. So their replies have to be limited to things that are in the revision. Where things are not revised, they don't get to bring in new art like they did to respond to things that we didn't even touch. The Well, yeah, the question remains, are you going to, by today, give us a site? To the yes, yes, we will, you yeah, we, 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 we will definitely do that. Um, in addition, Your Honors, the Wittenhausen reference was very much part of these IPRs. But CTE never relied on Wittenhausen, even though they were aware of it. They were part of the Google IPR where Wittenhausen was mentioned. And ZTE never relied on it in their 
motion, their response to our motion to amend. And both LG and CT were aware of the reference and they knew it. So LG basically took on the risk because they could have filed their own IPR. They never filed their I, own IPR. I don't understand the point you're making. That if, LG, if CTE didn't raise it in the first amendment and then it disappears from the scene and isn't opposing the second, are you saying that LG couldn't make arguments that CDTE didn't make in the first they, amendment? They, they could make arguments, but they couldn't bring new art. Well, it's not new art to the record. It's new, you mean it's art different than what CTE had put forward in the first amendment? Yes, Your Honor. What is your basis for the, that limitation? I mean, would CTE, if CTE had remained and there were second amended claims, the CTE could bring, could have brought in that reference. But is that your position or that they couldn't have done it either? Well, we have never been confronted with a situation where a, in the second round of amendments, new art is brought in. That has never been a situation that, but the original petitioner is different. We understand the original petitioner is different. Here, we're dealing with a time bar joint petitioner. And so there's never been a case in front of the board where a time bar joint petitioner has brought in new prior art references and made new arguments, which they were never allowed to make in the first place. This is, this is entirely new territory, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you. We have your argument. Your time has expired. Thank you. Thank you both sides. Thank you.